Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we are happy to welcome Hugh Welsh, General Counsel, Secretary and President at DSM North America. And in the spirit of Thanksgiving and the winter holidays, we'll be taking a look at some of the philanthropic work DSM has done across the globe. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms. It really helps us expand our reach, and we appreciate it when you do so. And I should also note that we're available on Spotify and Apple iTunes now, so take a look for us there too, if those are your platforms of choice, and subscribe. So with that all said, I'll introduce Hugh and start off by asking him how he's doing today. So how are you, Hugh? I'm doing fantastic, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, it's uh, definitely that season of giving. And as I teased at the beginning, we're definitely going to talk a little bit about those philanthropic efforts. But before we really get too far into that topic, I'd like you to kind of share a little background on yourself and also DSM for those who may not be familiar. Sure. I mean, I'll start with DSM. Uh, The acronym DSM actually stands for Dutch State Mines. And we started as a coal mining company in the Netherlands 116 years ago. And over the course of the uh, succeeding uh, decades, we've evolved uh, first into manufacturing industrial chemicals, then to manufacturing maybe some more complex chemicals to the company we are today, which has nothing to do with coal mining, nothing to do with industrial chemicals today. We're primarily a nutrition company. So we make all of the letter vitamins you might be familiar with, vitamin C, D, E, A, uh, carotenoids, which are colorants, um, things like beta carotene, astaxanthin, zeaxanthin, lipids like omega-3. And you know that's a very, very big part of our business, both in human nutrition, where it goes into food, beverage, and dietary supplements, as well as animal nutrition, where you would find that in, in feed for your dog, your cat, but also for cattle, for pigs, for, for chickens. Um, other parts of our business include um, fibers, uh, fiber called Dyneema, which is used in life protection equipment like ballistic vests for our law enforcement and militaries biomedical materials, uh, engineering materials that go into cars and electronics. It's As you can see, it's a pretty diversified company. But as I think we'll get into in a little bit, we've like to think we've repurposed that acronym because uh, it really doesn't stand for Dutch State Mines anymore. Today, we like to think it's um, it's about how we do something meaningful and, uh, and try to find a way for our employees to do something meaningful every day. So I definitely like a good pivot and a good story like that, a country, uh, you know, a company that's been around for over 100 years. Uh, I'm assuming you haven't been around for 100 years, Hugh. So maybe you could give a little background on your uh, professional experience and how you ended up with DSM. Uh, although sometimes it does feel like 100 years, other days it seems like I just got here. But uh, but I've been with DSM now for 17 years. Uh, I came to DSM in, in 2004, uh, very soon after uh, DSM acquired uh, Hoffman LaRoche's vitamins business. And that business was uh, in the United States, headquartered here in New Jersey, and uh, and that's where I work out of. We have our, our North American headquarters in Parsippany, New Jersey. Uh, before that, I worked for uh, another company I think a lot of people are familiar with called American Standard. Um, you use their products every day as well. And just prior to that, I was a lawyer at a big New Jersey law firm called McCarter & English. But it's always been my, my, my passion, my vocation to work in a business that makes something. I think a lot of people feel that same sentiment but also work in a business that makes something that matters. And so uh, I've had a a wonderful career so far. I hope I get to work for uh, another 50 years here at DSM. 
But if it all ended tomorrow, I could look back and say it's been a remarkable ride and a great privilege and probably would have done it for free. Something that I teased in the intro and something I really enjoyed when our pre-calls, when you said, you know, DSM really stands for do something meaningful. And it's the week after Thanksgiving. We have the winter holidays approaching. And with COVID-19, I think there's an increased focus on, you know, people that are suffering across the globe and even in our own neighborhoods. So in the spirit of that giving, I was wondering if you could give us a brief overview of DSM's mission to fight food insecurity across the globe. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. I mean, you know, we, we are the, the world's largest nutrition company. And and with that size and with the, the, the privilege that comes with that, there's also a responsibility to ensure that you do everything you can to get the products that you make to the people who need them uh, to reach their full potential. And I think a lot of folks are familiar with hunger in, in, in the idea of not getting enough calories. Uh, you know, we have an epidemic of hunger here in the United States at the moment as a consequence of COVID-19 and, and folks losing their jobs. And DSM, like many other companies, is stepping up and trying to ensure that our local food banks have what they need to, to meet that demand. I think we, we all recognize uh, hunger in terms of, uh, of a lack of calories when we've seen issues in sub-Saharan Africa or Southeast Asia of starvation. But there's, a, there's another hunger that's even, even more profound in some respects. And, and we like to refer to that as, as hidden hunger or a silent tsunami. And it's the 2 billion people on the planet that don't get the micronutrients they need to reach their full potential. To see how that bears out, you know, we look at children. And, and 43% of, of children who die under the age of five every year die because of uh, a nutrition issue. The hundreds of millions of children every year that have no chance to reach their full physical or cognitive potential because of micronutrient issues. And so we at DSM are always looking for new and innovative ways to get these really empowering essential nutrients that we make to all of those people that need them. And, and maybe we'll have the opportunity to walk through a little bit some of the different programs that we use and different pathways that we use to ensure that that can happen. So I heard you mention that you're active in sub-Saharan Africa and also in Asia. Can you give a better idea of where you're operating currently, what kind of programs you have in those areas, and then maybe even do a specific area in more detail to give people an idea of what it's like to be with DSM with boots on the ground there? Absolutely. I mean, DSM itself operates in 60 countries around the world on six continents, you know, so we're pretty geographically spread out. Uh, in Africa, we work through a number of different programs to uh, to get the products that we make to the people that need them in real time. I mean, the, the, we started with uh, the United Nations World Food Program. Um, the United Nations World Food Program just won the Nobel Prize for um, the work that it's done to to get emergency food relief to the people that desperately need it in places like Yemen at the moment. But we've worked with the United Nations World Food Program in partnership since 2007. And they came to us initially saying, you know, DSM, we're really good at getting enough calories in a cup to feed a child in a school feeding program, but we're not so good at ensuring that the product that we put in that cup has all of the uh, nutrients necessary so that child can grow as that child should grow uh, and that child can develop their brain like that child should develop their brain. So we, we helped them with that, with our hundreds of nutritional scientists that we have within the company and invented a couple of new, new things. Like one at the time was called a mix me sachet, which is a small sachet. Uh, that contains all of the essential nutrients that a child would need to reach its full potential. Think of it in U.S. terms as like the recommended daily allowance. And it's a point of use product where you can just rip it open, sprinkle it on the food in that, that World Food Program, red school feeding cup, and that child will get the nutrition it needs. And through that program in Africa, we've reached uh, 39 million children. 
uh, what we learned from that, though, what it wasn't enough. We needed to learn a way to do more. And and one of the the areas that um, that I'm most proud of personally, because I got to use my modest legal skills, was building a new a new business in Africa called Africa Improved Foods. And what we decided to do at the invitation of President Kagame in Rwanda was build a plant in Kigali that makes a nutritious porridge. And that porridge is uh, has all the nutrients necessary for a child, again, to reach their full potential. And we've already reached 1.5 million children in Rwanda. Uh, we've reduced the stunting rate in the, in the country of Rwanda by 6% already. Two years we've been in operation. So it's already had a profound effect on, on that community. But what, what, I, what I take most pride in uh, with this particular project is that it, it enables the local economy as well. And so this is a for-profit venture. Uh, the profits aren't, aren't large. They're nowhere near the return on, on capital uh, uh, employed that we would get in a similar operation in the United States or in Western Europe. But we get to employ 400 people in Kigali that are working in our manufacturing plant. We source all of our raw materials from 900 different Rwandan smallholder farmers. And, and those farmers, for the first time, you have an opportunity to, uh, to borrow against our contracts and, uh, and improve their, their productivity. So hearing that, it kind of reminds me of that old adage, you know, you can give a man a fish or teach him how to fish. And I think it's very interesting to hear, you know, it's not just a philanthropic effort. It's also a business effort, but it's really more of a self-sustaining kind of model that you're trying to create. And is this something that you employ across the globe or is this more of a test pilot kind of project right now in Rwanda? It started as a, as a, as a test pilot project. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of, we had a difficult time finding partners to do this with us. Uh, but we did find some some excellent partners in the International Finance Corporation. It's part of the World Bank, the CDC in the UK, the FMO in the, in the Netherlands. Um, we're, we're already working to sort of scale it up and replicate it in other countries. We're looking at places like Kenya and Ethiopia, but candidly, it could be done could be done anywhere in the world. And it, for us, it was a, a tremendous learning experience because historically, organizations, very very well-meaning organizations like USAID in the United States. Would buy up surplus crops in you know from Iowa or wheat from Western Europe, and deliver that as food relief into places like Rwanda, and they would distribute that through local non-government organizations. Some of which would be made into food and 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 used to to meet the needs of starving people, but a good deal of it would be sold on the open market to raise cash, and that would have a I think a, the unintended consequence of disrupting local agricultural markets. So that most farming was left to be subsistence farming, and we know that if we want to we want to grow economies, and growing economies are what raise people out of poverty, we need to move away from strictly subsistence farming to more commercial farming. And and so building food manufacturing plants like this that rely on local sourced, locally sourced in this case maize and soy, raise all boats those that can work in the facilities, those that provide products to the facilities, and of course, the beneficiaries and the consumers of the product in the market. So the COVID-19 pandemic is certainly changing things, uh, you know, across the globe and has been for most of 2020. I was wondering how has it affected DSM's efforts for fighting food insecurity across the globe? It, it, it's, it certainly has created greater awareness around the products and services that we provide. Uh, essential nutrition is, is just that, it's essential. If you're, if you're not getting appropriate nutrition, regardless as to whether or not you're getting sufficient calories, if you're not getting appropriate nutrition, your immunity level will be reduced and your uh, susceptibility to infection and disease like COVID, but also the ordinary cold and flu will go up. 
and, and that's what we see. If we look at a lot of the emerging data right now, particularly around uh, vitamin D, we see that folks with uh, very low levels of vitamin D seem to have uh, greater susceptibility to COVID-19 and also poor outcomes with respect to COVID-19. So what we initially did as a company is we developed a proprietary blend of vitamins, which would include D, but also A, zinc, selenium, C, and provided that to all of our employees. And so we distributed products to all of our employees, particularly those working in plants. We got them all of the essential nutrition that they needed to, uh, to, do the, to allow their bodies to do the best job they, they could and improve their own immunity. We're also working very hard now on, on getting a form of vitamin D to the market that's called, we call AmpliD. It's a uh, scientific name would be 25-hydroxy-D3 or calcifediol. And it's what happens, uh, it's what's circulating in your bloodstream today as vitamin D. If you go to the doctor today and you get a, blood, a vitamin D blood test, they're, they're, they're checking the 25-hydroxy vitamin D3 levels. And, and we have a product that can help raise that extremely quickly. And, and we think that could be a, a big, big benefit in improving the immunity, particularly of the elderly, people of color, those who historically have very low vitamin D levels. We can get those vitamin D levels up very quickly. So there's a lot that we've learned as a consequence of the COVID-19. Um, I think we've all learned a lot about ourselves and the resilience of uh of us individually, our businesses and our community, but we've also learned a lot about nutrition in this context. And um, it's, it's something that we'll, we'll take forward to help uh, insulate the population against whatever the next pandemic might bring. So when it comes to COVID-19, what about supply chain and logistics? Are you finding any difficulty in sourcing ingredients and how does that affect you know, your efforts in Sub-Saharan Africa and across the globe in fighting food insecurity? Are you seeing a major impact because of you know the tie-ups due to COVID-19 on the shipping lanes? We did in the very early days. It was very difficult uh, because of, because of a very aggressive government action around the world uh, in all geographies to to move goods and services through international supply chains. And so, in the early days, we were very hamstrung in our capacity to to get the products that we needed to the places that they needed to be on time. I think a lot of that has been resolved, um, remarkably, and and some might say ironically, in places like Africa. We haven't seen the impact of, of COVID-19 as severe as we have in some of the Western economies, in, in Western Europe and the United States particularly. And so our operations in, in, those, uh, in those countries throughout Africa, uh, Southeast Asia, and, um, and, and, and Central America, more than Latin and South America, have not been adversely impacted yet by COVID-19. Um, we have seen, though, through a lot of the NGOs we work a real need to to do much more intervention here in the United States than they had before. And so a lot of the groups that we've worked with, like Vitamin Angels, have, have moved to pivot quickly to meet the, the growing need for food and nutrition here in the United States, uh, where in the past, most of their efforts were focused on, on in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, India, and then Southeast Asia. Uh, in conversations we had before this call, Hugh, you mentioned that philanthropic efforts were great, but often not enough. And I was just wondering if you can give us a description of DSM's overall approach to fighting food insecurity. Yeah, I mean, we have a foundation in DSM that certainly makes philanthropic donations, but we always look to try to find a way to, to leverage that cash contribution with an in-kind contribution from DSM around the know-how that we bring with respect to nutrition. And that could be uh, essential nutrition uh, for humans. It could be around animal nutrition to increase the output of eggs, cheese, I could go on. And so we always try to tie those two things together because we find that you get better outcomes 
when you bring not just uh, material, not just cash, but also know-how. And there's a lot of different ways that we, we do that. Um, one that's very exciting to me is uh, an organization that we helped found called Partners in Food Solutions. And Partners in Food Solutions is a consortium of companies uh, that include DSM, Hershey's, Cargill, General Mills, and Arden Mills. And what these, what these companies do is they've built out a platform that has uh, folks working um, in Africa across the, about 12 different African countries for 600 different African food manufacturers. And the goal is to improve the operations of these African food manufacturers with respect to um, efficiency or safety or quality. Uh, such that they can be serving their own local markets and also serving the aid agencies like the World Food Programs of the USAID. And the, the means by which we help improve these 600 different African food manufacturers, I think is pretty unique. What we do is we rely on the volunteer efforts of our own employees. And so we're not asking employees again for money or material, we're asking them to share their know-how. And so we'll stand up a project around it, uh, say in, uh, a miller in Kenya, that needs specialized help with an autoclave and some engineering. And then we'll look at the different companies' uh, uh, employee uh, base and say, do we have expertise in this area where an employee is willing to volunteer to share that expertise via Skype, via you know, Zoom, uh, with that African food manufacturer? And we found it to be a, a really uh, a remarkable way to share Western know-how, big company, multinational know-how, with small African food manufacturers who could never afford to go out to the market and buy this themselves to help those African food manufacturers, again, produce at a much higher efficiency level to help their own communities. And our employees get the sense that they get, they do something meaningful, that they can go home at night and talk to their families about how they had a conversation with a miller in Kenya. And they help that miller improve its efficiency such that it could feed a thousand more people in that community. Uh, I'd love to see this kind of model that um, that that this private 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 partnership to help uh, you know raise raise the standard of living, raise the quality of product, improve the economic development of uh, of people, places, countries all over the world. So you had an illustrious list there of partners that you work with, and I'm wondering, you know, are there other companies out there doing this, uh, and is there really a need for it, or is this something that the food industry overall is kind of tackling together? Yeah, there's certainly a need for it. There's a growing need for it. Um, I'm pretty proud of the way the food industry has uh, stepped up uh, when called upon to to help not just meet the um, I guess the hunger crisis here in the United States, but around the world. You know, we're part of an organization called uh, Scaling Up Nutrition. It's got 186 company members and is working together with organizations like again the World Food Program and UNICEF and World Vision to ensure that the food that we produce and distribute around the world has the the nutrition that it that it requires. Uh, I mentioned that illustrious group of really great American companies that are working together in partners in food solutions. You know, there are many others that are working in, in parts of Africa to do the same. But I really, at this point, don't think it's enough. I mean, if I had to, to ring the bell for a call to action, it would be asking a lot of the companies um, that operate in the food uh, industry to step up and deploy some capital in these places um, to help help us uh, work together with us to build out the next generation of African improved foods in places like Ethiopia and Sudan and Kenya and Malawi um, to work on the next generation of partners in food solutions as maybe a partners in feed solutions to help with the, the promotion and development of animal agriculture in these places as well. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the efforts that the food industry has undertaken already. 
but I think that the demand is uh, is currently outseeding the exceeding the supply. And I would love for them to, to reach out to a company like DSM and, and let's find a way to work together in a pre-competitive sense to help improve um, improve lives all over the world. So if you were talking to one of those companies right now, uh, what would you say are some of the major benefits that you've seen at DSM for engaging in these types of philanthropic efforts? You know, and it could be anything from like you're saying that your employees are feeling the you know pride of actually helping out to maybe even a business boost and the good PR. What kind of benefits would a company that joins a philanthropic effort like this expect to see? Yeah, I mean, I, I, if you're not if you're not in the food industry or the food and beverage industry, you probably don't know DSM. But I promise you that if you uh, you asked any one of my 23,000 colleagues in the company, they would tell you that they've never felt more engaged working for an organization in their life, that there is, uh, they're incredibly proud of the work that the company does, uh, not just to meet the needs of our customers and our shareholders, but to meet the needs of the communities within which we all live and, and, and work, but also society at large. And, and that the work we do to literally touch the lives of hundreds of millions of people who, you know, without our essential nutrients, will never, ever reach their full potential is incredibly moving, incredibly powerful. And we try to share those stories and, and bring those employees along to see this firsthand every chance we get. Um, again, building out organizations like Partners in Food Solutions and giving each employee, you could work in marketing or finance or HR, work in engineering, you could have the chance to volunteer your know-how and work work in one of these organizations is um, is incredibly an incredibly powerful experience. And there is a certain subset of employees that we, we take with us to visit Kigali, Rwanda, or go on a World Food Program mission to Bangladesh, or visit a Vitamin Angels initiative in, in India. It's um, it's an incredibly, incredibly engaging narrative for the company, and it's really firmly embedded in our DNA and our culture. But it, I mean, it's not just about employee engagement and recruitment and retention. You know, for us, this is really also, you know, there's some knock-on business benefit. You know, we're learning a lot about doing business in places like, like Sub-Saharan Africa, in East Africa, you know, in Uganda, Rwanda, Ethiopia, Sudan, in Kenya, learning how to do business in places like Indonesia and Cambodia, places where we ordinarily would not be doing business because of, frankly, better better areas to deploy capital. But we learn a lot about the, the culture and the people and the opportunities there through ventures like Africa Improved Foods and Partners in Food Solutions. I, I think it's, it's that know-how is going to really springboard DSM into the next iteration of its growth, where places like Africa, where there'll be a tremendous population growth over the next uh, couple of decades, will, will be the next area for the global multinationals, particularly in the food and beverage space, to grow. And uh, I like to think that we have been there for quite a while, relationships with local governments, local NGOs, and those things will pay dividends uh, for us uh, on the business side down the road. But the business purpose isn't the only purpose that we do these things. We do it because it's the right thing to do. And again, if you're a company of our size that sells the products that we sell, you have a responsibility to do these things as well. I think that's very well said. With 2021 around the corner, it's usually a time for New Year's resolutions. And I'm wondering what does DSM have planned for 2021 on these philanthropic fronts? Uh, well, we'll continue to look to expand our African Proof Foods venture. It will be going into year three of our Kigali operations. Uh, we've learned a lot. We're profitable there now. And I think that we've demonstrated to the world that uh, this model makes sense, uh, not just from a business perspective, but from uh, a beneficiary perspective, from a government perspective, from an economic growth perspective. So I think we'll see a lot more of that. Uh, our business continues to do pretty well. Uh, the pandemic has made people, I think, very aware of their own health and the need to ensure that they get the essential nutrition they require to stay healthy. I think we'll see more of that in 2021. We'll see a bigger focus on areas like personalized nutrition, where we can help consumers better understand what specific nutrients they need to, um, to be who they are. 
and reach their full potential and bring that to places um, you know, like Africa, like Central America, like Southeast Asia. Uh, we've worked over the years with an organization also called Global Health Corps. It was uh, an organization form, formed by uh, President Bush's daughter, Barbara, that does remarkable work. Um, it has a fellowship model where it recruits some of the best to come and work in NGOs in different parts of the world. And we've worked very closely with them on health and nutrition issues in everywhere from Newark, New Jersey to Nairobi, uh, Kenya. And I think that we'll work with Global Health Corps to build out that fellowship model a bit more. Uh, I'd encourage folks to go take a look. I know that they're recruiting fellows right now. Uh, I will tell you, though, it's harder to get a fellowship in Global Health Corps than it is to get into Harvard Business School. And that just uh, speaks to the quality of the people that they have the capacity to, to recruit and retain. And the alumni network of that organization is, a, is, is literally now a who's who of um, thought leaders, political leaders, academic leaders in the health and nutrition space around the world. So um, I think like many, we're, we'd be happy to see 2020 come to an end. I'm very excited for what 2021 might bring for our company, for our customers, for our shareholders and employees, but also for, I think, the, the great and meaningful work that we are privileged to have the opportunity to do around the world. So I think that about wraps it up for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Hugh, where can our listeners go to learn more about DSM and these efforts? You can go take a look at www.dsm.com. Uh, at DSM on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter as well, at QC Welsh, and uh, I hope you do. And you can follow along on the meaningful work that we do every day and hopefully join us on our journey to do something meaningful. We really appreciate you taking the time today, Hugh. We'll also definitely share all of the links uh, in the description of this episode so that you can follow along with the efforts DSM is making. So remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. Music.